Welcome to the second episode of the Curious Cat podcast. I am your host, Sebastian Bowen, and joined by my co-host, Zoe Marie Castleman. Hello. Yeah, what's your week been like? Not bad, actually, not bad. Um, Yeah, I've been catching up with some really interesting shows, actually. I've been going way, way back. Uh, I've been watching The Twilight Zone, some of the original episodes, as well as some of the most recent episodes. Um... That came out in, I think, 2019. I think it, Jordan Peele brought it back uh, from Keenan Peele. Uh, but no, but I started going back into really the old, old episodes, and some of them are really, really good. I've also been watching Roald Dahl's Tales of the Unexpected that used to be shown on ITV when I was a kid. So just watching these episodes, some of them will bring back memories of things that I remember. My mom, I'd always have to leave the room at that point. I could tell because the theme song when you hear it you kind of most people my age remember their mum saying right okay it's bedtime now um but no i've been watching a lot of those and those are fantastic they're like half an hour little episodes you can find them on youtube there's a bunch of them on youtube and and all in good quality as well some fantastic actors that you'll recognize as well from from modern stuff but the stories are really really fun and quirky and they always have like a slight twist at the end and obviously most of them are written by Roald Dahl, so you know they're very good. I think it's probably one of the only things I'm, well, I'm not familiar with all of his work, but I definitely know that was one of the things that he wrote for adults as opposed for children. But yeah, Twilight Zone, Tales Unexpected, and Hitchcock. I've been watching a lot of Hitchcock Presents as well, some of those old episodes, just trying to find little, you know, golden nuggets of television these are so so good and some of these stories you know have been repeated in modern times slightly changed um so yeah that's what i've been doing for the for pretty much the whole of this week and and last since we last spoke yeah, what about yourself i have to say on the uh, classic episodes front since we had those three episodes rebooted for unsolved mysteries i've been going back and watching some of those original episodes from like the 80s oh yeah which are really great and they cover maybe three cases per episode but the best thing about them because every time I was watching them I kept googling the updates because obviously they happened so many years ago sure and the production company have actually gone back to put updates in at the end if there have been any oh nice so okay. yeah it's definitely worth re-watching because there were some cases in there I hadn't heard about and they they say whether it had been solved, whether it had been solved because of the show or, yeah, you know, what's yeah. happened with it since. So that's been great. That's my, that's my main obsession at the moment. That's pretty cool. And apparently they're doing that. Uh, one of the producers of that show was on actually on another podcast I listened to called um, Generation Y. And they interviewed the producer of that show. And she said that's something that they're going to be doing with the new series as well. Apparently that was written into the Netflix contract, apparently, that they would be going back and actually showing you which cases had been solved over time. And apparently they've already done the second season of that. I think they did it all in one go, but they just broke it down into two seasons. So we definitely are getting a second season of that, which I'm looking forward to as well. I really enjoyed this season. We've got a fun episode for you again this week. Something I think will be quite interesting for most people, especially if you've never heard of it. What are we going to be talking about today, Zoe? So this week we're going to be talking about the dancing plague of 1518 
which was a mysterious illness that took over a small French town. It began with one woman who inexplicably left her house one evening and started to dance in the street. Eventually, someone joined in, and then another, and then another. By the end of the week, 34 others had joined her, and within a month, the crowd of dancing had reached 400, unable to stop themselves from their frenzy. Eventually, people began to dance themselves to death. Lovely. Now, that sounds bizarre. I don't know about anyone else, but when I first heard of this story, I was thinking this just can't possibly be true. Because I was just like, why would this why would this even be a thing? And then the next thing your mind kind of goes to is, is there some sort of supernatural element to this or were they all drugged or something of that nature? But no, it's got some quite legit theories as to why this happened. I'm going to try and look at that today and, and try and explore some of those theories See if we can try and explain the strange phenomenon that is known as the dancing plague. Right. So, Zoe, do you want to start us off? Yes. How did this begin? Who did it begin with? Who was the first person to start shaking their booty? (laughs) And where did this happen? So, just to note before we start that this might sound like it's absolutely archaic folklore. However, the dancing plague is very clearly chronicled in medical, civic and religious notes of the time. It wasn't the first outbreak of compulsing dancing in Europe. and There have been as many as 10 before and after, which we will explore later on. This, this case is simply the best documented and by a richer variety of sources than its predecessors. It can be minutely detailed with the help of court orders, sermons, vivid descriptions left behind by physicians such as paralysis. It was not the first and it will not be the last. So in July 1518. So wait there, what we're what what we're what you're basically saying there for the layman is this is this did actually happen. This isn't just hundred percent. Yeah, this isn't just something that someone passed down over years and said they heard a myth or a story that some happened in some town. This was witnessed by lots and lots of different people over a long period of time and documented by quite a few people. And historians have gone back and looked at that evidence and said this event, no doubt happened go for it in july 1518 a woman referred to as frau trophia lived in a small village in strasbourg and she began a dance that for herself would last between about four to six days had this remained an isolated incident the city elders may have put it down to madness or demonic possession but soon after she began her dance people started to join in so wait so she she was going for four four to six days on her own like she was she doing it on her own or were at that point people already joining in i think people were starting to join in her personal dance would last okay. between four to six days i think i mean i mean just that on its own is is a, it's a long time to be dancing for i mean anything for me over an hour i'd need to have a <laughs> sit down let alone four to six days but yeah okay so the endurance is is impressive that is the impressive part so she's having a dance on four to six days. More and more people start joining in. Yeah, eventually about 400 people in the first month had joined in this dance and had began to die. Wait, wait, sorry. I've got to stop you there. 400 people in one month are all now dancing to the same jig as this woman. And, and I they think, can't stop. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because I saw somewhere that there was 15 people a day that were dying which is a lot of people. That's not, that's not, you know, that's not small by any numbers. 
but yeah, 400 people. I'm just trying to get people to imagine that, the listeners to imagine what 400 people were dancing look like. That's kind of like, imagine going to a rave, that many people, on a daily basis, though, just outside of your house, all dancing and involuntarily, because that's the most important thing here. They're not doing this because they want to do it. They're doing it because they can't not do it, can't stop themselves from doing it. So, yeah, medical and civic authorities were called in once they began dying and they were dying from heart attacks, exhaustion, strokes, uh, dehydration, heat strokes, all sorts of things. At the time, obviously, it's 1518 and they weren't really sure what was going on or how to deal with it. Many cures were attempted, um, including your more traditional cures, such as praying to the gods, making mm-hmm. small sacrifices. Um, one of the earliest cures suggested was, for, unex- for some unexplicable reason, was more dancing. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> they erected a wooden stage for the dancers. They hired musicians. They opened guild halls and the musicians were hired to play and pipes and drums alongside them to keep them moving and professional yeah. dancers were even paid to join in so essentially try and dance them out so yes. like let's get rid of the dance by making them dance so much that they won't be able to dance anymore okay yeah that that doesn't sound like a logical way of getting rid of this but you know if you've tried a lot of other things because i heard that they tried uh bloodletting as well so that was one of the first things I think they tried to do was just kind of like cut people and let them bleed for a while to see if that would get rid of it, like get rid of the bad blood, so to speak. They thought it was hot blood, though that hot blood is, is what they said would affect the brain uh, and cause the brain to overheat. And the only way to, to stop that from happening was to try bloodletting and getting rid of some of that bad blood. So once they'd gone through all these different weirder, I suppose, um, remedies, they they landed on what Zoe just said, which was let them dance the night away. I wonder what songs they played. <laughs> I know, right? That's that's the, that's the one of the things I, I actually wondered when I was listening, because that, that's never, everywhere I looked, no one said what was actually being played. They just said that these musicians were brought in to make them dance even more. And apparently they the musicians were dan- playing music faster and faster on purpose to try and in some way speed up the dancers as if that would get rid of it kind of thing so if they if they played the music at such a tempo that was so high the 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 dancer would eventually become completely exhausted and just stop doing it but that didn't really work though did it though no it did not work and actually it terrified the town so much that the rate of infection was increasing that eventually all music was banned apart from a single violin at weddings wow one other thing that they tried to do was they loaded all the dancers aboard wagons and your original party bus took them <laughs> yeah. to healing shrines. <laughs> took them to where? To uh, they uh, So they loaded them aboard these party buses and took them to a healing shrine, which didn't work. Eventually, bit by bit, the dancers stopped and the dancing would actually end as mysteriously as it began. And not until early September did the epidemic recede. Okay, because I, I read a slightly different version of the ending of that. I read another okay. version which said they started to blame St. Vitus. And St. Vitus, just giving you a bit of history on him, was a baby boy that was put in a, a cauldron of boiling lead and tar and then fed to lions, essentially. Well, what happened is when he came out of the boiling lead and tar, which is unbelievable in itself, he was not burnt 
and the lions actually licked his wounds clean. So he then became a saint. This is why he was known for healing people is because obviously he had the ability to heal himself. He was the original X-Man, so to speak. Um, but yeah, so they, the, the other version I heard was that eventually they took the people, as you said, into the carts up to this place, which is called St. Vitus. And it was a priest there that gave them some holy water, some holy crosses and some holy shoes that apparently were dipped in some special ointment. And they wore these shoes and slowly but surely the dancing plague eventually wore off. So I don't know if you came across that theory, but I just thought I'd throw it in because I did see it earlier today. So maybe coincidence or maybe it worked. Maybe it worked. You never know. <laughs> but also I think when we, when we look at mass hysteria later on as one of the theories, there is some reason as to why that could actually possibly work, but we'll get into that a little bit later on. Yeah. So that's our basic. That is the dancing plague of 1518, as I said, very well chronicled. And as we said earlier, it's the best documented, but it's not the only one documented. So there were at least seven other outbreaks of the dancing epidemic in medieval Europe. Not sure why this is just a Europe thing either. <laughs> or yeah. if it just wasn't documented. Well, that else. is weird. I mean, there have been other weird cases around the world, but in terms of the dancing plague, it seems to be very located around Germany from what I've seen. There was one before this plague as well uh, in the past. Um, but let's let's go through them, actually. Let's chronologically go through the other dancing plagues that have been documented in the past. Yeah, so our, the first recorded incident was probably the Kolbeck incident, and that happened in 1021. So on Christmas Eve, 18 people gathered outside a church in the German town and danced with wild abandon. The priests, unable to perform mass because of the trouble outside, ordered them to stop. Ignoring them, they held hands, formed a ring that the priests declared a sinful ring. They continued to clap, dance, leap, chanting in unison. A local chronicler stated the enraged priest cursed them to dance for the entire year as punishment, and that worked. So not until the following Christmas did the dancers regain the control of their limbs. Exhausted and repentant, they fell into a deep sleep, of which some never awoke. Which basically means they died, right? That's a yeah. weird way of saying <laughs> that they died. But what I find fascinating about this as well is because when I first started diving into this, you, you assume that this dance is just some sort of kind of weird um kind of impulsive dance yeah. yeah uncoordinated but as you read these stories you, you realize pretty quickly that no they were actually dancing and a lot of the times in unison with each other so it was you know a rhythmic type of dance it wasn't just some people just shaking around so people could say it looks like they're dancing no they actually genuinely were dancing which is the part that i think made me even more interested in this so to speak because then i thought oh okay that's that's even more odd then later chronicles speak of a bout of unstoppable, sometimes fatal dancing in German town of Erfurt in 1247. Shortly after, 200 people are said to have danced impulsively on a bridge over the Mosel River in Matriac until it collapsed, drowning them all. That's horrible. Imagine that. See, imagine being there and seeing that all these people dancing on a bridge. First of all, that's freaking you out that they're all doing this for no apparent reason. And then the bridge breaks and then everybody dies and drowns in front of you that that is terrifying yeah I had a story actually from my old house I grew up in a mental asylum 
uh, repurposed, <laughs> not at actual end. And we had a we had a huge forest um, out the back. There were like gravestones everywhere where they would just like chuck the bodies of the people who died in the insane asylum. But there was this one cottage, and it was only kind of like the ground zero of the cottage. And apparently this woman there had a wedding and she hosted like 300 guests and they all died in the lake in the forest and no one knows why they just all drowned in it like a mass drowning what this happened in in your house in your garden like just behind my house yeah creepy how have i never known that oh my gosh that's that is creepy i don't think i'd be able to live there knowing that once i heard that story i think we'd have to move up after that but yeah Yeah, so another one, likewise, dozens of medieval authors recount a terrible compulsion to dance that in 1374 swept across to western Germany and northeastern France. Chronicles agree that thousands of people danced in agonies for days or weeks, screaming of terrible visions and imploring priests and monks to save their souls. This this has happened throughout history a few times and not many people have actually really heard of this, which is, I find that really, really fascinating I mean, a few decades later after that, the abbot of a monastery near the city of Trier recalled an amazing epidemic in which a collection of hallucinating dancers hopped and leapt for as long as six months, some of them dying after breaking ribs or loins. That does not sound like fun. And that's the thing to remember. None of these people are enjoying this dance, by the way. They're doing this dance involuntarily. It's hurting them after, I would say, probably an hour, like most people. You know, if you're going to exercise continuously for over an hour, your your body's going to start feeling some of the effects of that. Yeah, of course. Um, There was also several isolated cases during the 1500s and 1600s from Switzerland and the Holy Roman Empire of the mania gripping an individual or entire families at a time. So this wasn't just kind of (laughs) Germany and France where we've seen it before. It is kind of spreading across Europe. Yeah, and I think one of the most furthest places it's gone to, I should say, in more recent history is a major outbreak which occurred in Madagascar in 1840s. According to medical reports that described people dancing wildly in a state of trance, convinced that they were possessed by spirits. So there we get the supernatural element poking its head in again. Yeah, so I think they are the kind of main dancing plagues across that time in Europe. I couldn't find if there had been any dancing plagues in modern history, but I think they're quite, they'd be quite difficult to spot now, wouldn't they? Yeah, I mean, because um, would it just be, um, what do they call those things now? Those where, flash um, mobs. Yeah, that's it. It would just be a flash mob now, wouldn't it? You'd just walk past it and think, oh, no, I don't want to get on camera. But surely, I wonder I wonder if it has actually happened. I mean, because when we get into some of the causes of this, it, it's, it's, it would seem likely to me that this could happen again, um, especially with what the planet's going through at the moment with COVID-19. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's a good time to talk about some of those theories of causes about why this could have happened or why this could happen again we have several theories of causes which we'll walk through including mass hysteria distress poisoning different diseases religion supernatural obviously Mm -hmm. so the first one and probably the one i don't know where you kind of side with this after you've done your own research probably the one i'm leaning for is Mass hysteria. So we've already said one thing that contemporary and modern writers have agreed is those who dance did so involuntarily. They weren't just dancing for the sake of it. 
actually a lot of the time they seem to be in huge amounts of distress or pain. So according to Medical News Today, to distance it from negative connotations, researchers today are actually advising that we refer to the phenomenon as collective obsessional behaviour rather than mass hysteria. Right. So people who have taken an interest in this phenomenon say that it's a type of psychogenic illness that's a condition that begins with the mind rather than the body. However, it can take very physical side effects. Because mass hysteria or collective obsessional behaviour can take so many different forms, it's very difficult to provide a clear definition for it. I do have some definitions from Professor Simon Wesley from King's College London in the United Kingdom. I don't know if you want to walk us through those five principles. Yes, no problem. So Professor Simon Wesley says that it's an outbreak of abnormal illness behaviour that can be explained by physical disease that it affects people who would not normally behave in this fashion, that it excludes symptoms deliberately provoked in groups gathering for that purpose, such as when someone intentionally gathers a group of people and convinces them that they are collectively experiencing a psychological or physiological symptom, that it excludes collective manifestations used to obtain a state of satisfaction unavailable singly, such as fads, crazes and riots that the link between the individuals experiencing the collective obsessional behaviour must not be coincidental, meaning, for instance, that they are all part of the same close-knit community. And he also said as well, in terms of like trying to break the mass hysteria, you need to do three things, which is separate the ill people from the non-ill people, the people that have been affected. Communicate to them that the environment that they're in is actually safe. And that has to be done by some sort of authoritative figure and remove any social validation or reinforcement that the people suffering from the mass hysteria may be receiving. So if they believe that that thing over there is the thing that's creating this evilness or making them dance. You need to remove that from their consciousness. So I thought that was yeah. quite interesting. So if we take the Dancing Plague of 1518, I think quite a lot of this rings true. Um, it was in a close knit community. It was that someone it couldn't be explained by a physical disease it was that people wouldn't normally behave in that situation and then when they chose to remove them from you know the town and take them to the statue and give them the shoes and everything they are kind of breaking that mass hysteria by giving them like a placebo cure yeah yeah and it's almost telling them that this is the cure because essentially that was that's what started it in a way so because they had this belief that in some way St. Vitus might be part of this or to do with this or it became the curse of St. Vitus. So in order to break that curse, they had to go to St. Vitus and then get something from a priest in order to, to break the mania itself. So that's what I meant earlier by saying that there might be some truth in terms of what actually stopped it. Whether that was really what stopped it or whether it's just psychologically what stopped it, we probably will never know. Yeah, so mass hysteria still happens all around the world today. And to compare the plague of 1518, we have got some other kind of mass hysteria events that took place that turned out to be contagious. I have some form of a timeline here of some of the early ones. One of the most famous, I think, being the Tanganyika case of 1962. Mm -hmm. This was probably the most unusual documented case of mass psychological illness. And it was the Tanganyika laughter epidemic A paper published the following year in the Central African Journal of Medicine described what happened first. So, triggered by a joke among students at the Tanzania boarding school, 
young girls began to laugh uncontrollably. At first, there were just spurts of laughter, but that eventually extended to hours and days of these kids just laughing. The victims, virtually all females, suffered pain, fainting, respiratory problems, rashes, crying attacks, all related to this hysterical laughter. So uh, proving that the old adage of laughter can be contagious, the epidemic spread to even the parents and the students and teachers, as well as to other schools in the surrounding villages. And I couldn't find any intervention that they tried to do or one thing that cured it. But this took 18 months before this laughing, laughing epidemic had ended. Yeah, that 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 one fact alone blew my mind. Could you imagine like this happening every day outside your house for 18 months? People just laughing, laughing, laughing until the point of they're in pain. And what else is weird about this is that they had to close 14 schools because they couldn't teach. I mean, imagine trying to teach a class of pupils that won't stop laughing at you. And they tried to reopen the schools and they'd have to close the schools again. And people were like fainting, crying themselves to death pretty much. They had rashes, some of them. Another byproduct was they were passing gas while they were laughing, which obviously is embarrassing for some people. And it hurts. Laughing hurts. Like if you make me laugh and I've got like a stitch in my side and you do, you start crying and your belly starts aching and you start, you know, your muscles start aching. It hurts to laugh for a long time. So 18 months. Yeah. No, this is true, which is the reason why I don't like being tickled. I don't like being tickled because it it hurts. After about five seconds, I immediately (laughs) don't want to be tickled anymore. But yeah, I thought that that was definitely a weird one. That was definitely, definitely a weird one. Um, But I can top that. Five years later, in 1967, in Singapore, there was known as the penis panic. (laughs) That's right. You heard it. Notoriously in Singapore, hundreds of men became convinced that eating pork meat taken from a series of vaccinated pigs would lead to penis shrinkage or disappearance and potentially death. This caused over 1,000 men to use pegs and clamps in hopes of protecting themselves from the gripping fear. The penis panic, or coro, required a concerted effort from the country's government to educate the male population about their genital organs to convince them that their conviction was not and could not be true. That's insane. That is insane. Um, and that was just in 1967. That, that wasn't long ago. And that's thousands of men convinced of this. But how? How did that even start? Like, that was before Facebook. That was before Twitter. That was before phones or email. Like <laughs> Word of mouth. Good old-fashioned word <laughs> of mouth. Some dude said it, and the next dude was like, Really? huh, well, I don't want that to happen to my penis, so I better get clamping. So <laughs> and then the next the person saw where him. they had to get the government to educate the male population. Yeah, they had to get the government to step in and say, stop clamping your penises because this is not true. <laughs> Actually, I do have one that could top it. Go for it. So during the Middle Ages, many nuns were first were forced into converts by their parents and often stressed by a lifestyle not of their choosing, one that demanded celibacy, poverty and hard manual labour. A nun in a large French convent began meowing. Soon, some of the other uh, nuns joined in and eventually every nun in the convert was meowing. The noise became structured. All of the nuns would meow together for several hours at the same time every day. The neighbours could hear the collective caterwauling and were understandably annoyed. Eventually, the nuns quieted down after being threatened with a beating by soldiers. 
Oh my gosh. That is bizarre as well. And I think, I don't know why, but for me, because it's nuns and they're in that nun outfit, I think that would actually scare the hell out of me if I saw that in real life. And imagine if you walked in there one day just to say a little prayer and and then you see all these nuns just start meowing. That is terrifying. You, You bolt out that door. I hadn't thought of this before, but I'm now wondering if that's why in Doctor Who, when you go to like the the new 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 York and they had a the episode with um the face of Bo, all the all the nuns were cats. Oh. And I'm wondering I'm wondering if this I is bet why. you any money that is why. I I guarantee you someone done their homework and they thought that would be a great little nod to that story. Um yeah, one hundred percent that makes sense. I, I, if it doesn't, I want it to be true now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I totally do. So yeah, that's, that's that's those are a couple of other weird events. I mean, just as a honorary mention, uh, you had the English sweat of fourteen eighty five. In the summer of the War of the Roses had been brought to a close, and in three decades of civil war, Henry the Seventh was crowned king by conquest. However, it wasn't long before a different kind of threat would become apparent. It was known as a Suda Anglicus to everyone else. It was a sweating sickness or simply the English sweat. Our main source that is not good i don't like sweating at the best of times let alone you know if i can't help it our main sources of information for the disease are two tudor physicians thomas lee forrester who was writing at the time of the initial outbreak and cambridge scholar john Keos. in it he described the sweat as a fever patients would suffer from headaches and stomach pains as well as the pain in the back shoulders arms legs and other extremities Within weeks of the first outbreak, a sweating sickness was to claim the lives of 15,000 men and women. It was, according to contemporaries, unlike anything seen before. While scientists and historians have been able to identify the pathogen that caused the Black Death, the same cannot be said of the English sweat. The disease returned five more times throughout the first half of the Tudor period, erupting for the final time in 1555. I think it's insane that they were even in that time they were able to identify the cause of the black death but not this like this was just completely unexplained yeah yeah you can go oh we we figured that out but we have no idea why these dudes are just sweating like crazy and all their joints appear to be aching yeah Uh, and i guess the difference between this one is that there is an actual physical symptom like something physical that they have broken out in yeah that's true. That's true. So again, the the more modern example that I've got that is very similar to this one is that in 2001, children in an elementary and middle schools across the United States experienced strange symptoms where their skin would break out in rashes only whilst they were in school, and at home their symptoms would completely disappear. <laughs> that's got to be the most convenient rash ever though i mean come on for a student or a person that doesn't want to go to school that would be the best ever yeah yeah it would be um the phenomenon actually ended up being linked to the impact of september 11 and the children's symptoms were taken as kind of mass psychosomatic reaction to the feelings associated with the trauma i th- find that quite a good parallel between the English sweat because obviously that started just after the War of the Roses. Correct. Yes. And and it's the same for if you go back to the original story we were talking about with the dancing plague. They had just been through four different big massive famines. 
And then another one that happened in 1517. By 1518, they had smallpox and leprosy. So the whole place had gone through at least, you know, six to seven years of rough, 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 rough times where thousands of people had died. So fear is set in on a, on a grand scale for multiple different reasons. And that's one of the most important things when you're talking about mass hysteria is that there has to be a level of fear that everybody is experiencing at the same time. And that fear has to even appear real, you know, and they all have to relate to it and believe in it. So this is why I was saying it could happen with something like COVID-19. You know, if you get the stress levels of the whole planet up to a certain degree that everyone starts believing they're going to die, or in some cases for some people turning on 5G, who knows? You might start seeing people start dancing again. Yeah, I think one of the points that I had highlighted was that it could be linked to distress. So exactly what you've just said. And apparently there's a massive increase in the likelihood of an individual succumbing to an involuntary trance state if they're in high levels of stress. So it's unlikely to be a coincidence, therefore, that the dancing plagues and the other mass hysteria events that happened, you know, that they were hit by some sort of devastation of some kind at the time. And I never knew that before researching this subject. It wasn't something I came across for some reason. I've heard the word mass hysteria many times, but I've never really dived into it to understand what it truly meant and whether it's something that I could be affected by. And I suppose in some weird way, we kind of are affected by it, but maybe in, in less drastic ways. We might we might all be going through some sort of psychological depression to a certain degree from some of the events that we've experienced um, you know soldiers go through post-traumatic stress disorder one of the facts i ever heard that blew my mind about war and i'm happy for someone to challenge this if it's not true but it's been true for the longest period of time for me more soldiers have killed themselves after returning from war than all of the soldiers that have actually died in war itself which just blows my mind when you think about that that how is that even possible and then if that is true why even have any more wars that just seems completely yeah so i've i've also heard that fact and i heard it linked to an article that i was reading about gun control and apparently most deaths by gun in the in the u.s are by suicide mostly of military men who have access to arms yeah served in yeah so mass hysteria is one of the reasons or one of the theories behind some of these extraordinary plagues. Another one for the dancing plague would be ergot, which has been described as an organic version of LSD. One theory is that in the case of the dancing plague, they had ingested ergot through a mould that grew on stalks of ripening rye and could supposedly cause hallucinations, spasms and tremors. Epidemics of ergotism certainly occurred in medieval Europe when people ate contaminated flour. The only thing that conflicts this, though, is the fact that they weren't having spasms and tremors when they were actually dancing. It did seem a little bit more like actual dance, as we said earlier, a little bit more coordinated. Also, that that might be a good explanation for the plague of 1518, but it doesn't necessarily explain other plagues happening around Europe. because. No. They, they didn't have access to the same crops. No. And another point is ergot is extremely poisonous uh, and it's far more likely to just kill people rather than starting impromptu dance. So that was another reason why some people were like, well, mm, it could be that, and, but no, it couldn't. And it doesn't explain the, the 
the fact that they were able to dance for so long. That's the, that's the part I think for most people that is hard to get your head around that they could actually dance so long. And it's the same with going back quickly just to the laughing thing. So some of these people didn't laugh continuously all day, every day. What would happen is they might have three or four hours of just pure laughing. They would get so tired, they would fall asleep. They would think that they'd been cured. They'd wake up and then an hour later they'd think, oh, okay, nothing's happened. And then, I don't know, maybe someone says a joke and that's it. It's triggered all over again and they can't stop laughing for another five or six hours. So it would be like that for, well, it went on for 18 months. And I'm assuming it's the same with the dance. I think some people would just dance and dance and dance and just eventually stop because they're exhausted, fall asleep, wake up, maybe believe that, oh, I'm cured. And then all of a sudden just start dancing again. Yeah. And it doesn't explain that immense amount of endurance. Like, Ergot, Mm -hmm. if it is a poison, we'd make you sick and weak. This dance to me seems to be much more mind over matter. Mm. Um, And it seems to be giving them energy, if anything. Yeah, yeah, and riling people up, and even if they were in pain, they they weren't stopping. I read that, I, I think we speak about him later, historian John Waller in his book, A Time to Dance, A Time to Die, The Extraordinary Story of the Dancing Plague of 1518. He is a historian who has documented the dancing plague really well, and he actually comes to the conclusion himself that he believes that Ergot caused this. And I've got to say, I don't agree with him. No, I don't. I mean, from from what I've read about Ergot, it doesn't, it just doesn't fit well, to be honest. And even people that are on LSD in modern times do not have the ability to dance forever, you know. And I don't know how many people they said were hallucinating, which I think is, is a common byproduct of lsd if i'm not mistaken is that people do hallucinate when you go back to the dancing plague theory there's not many documentations of people saying they were seeing things they were dancing they were definitely in some sort of like trance-like state it has the familiar types of properties of ergot but i think there's other things that push it outside of that theory for me yeah and also when i was reading this theory i don't know in your research you found something else but i couldn't find something that meant that they could definitively say there was an ergot poisoning at that time no i didn't find anything that said that it was definitively ergot no they said it could be um and that was it really yeah so i i'm i'm not sold on the ergot one of the other things that i read it could be is a disease called sydenham chorea and sydenham chorea is an involuntary movement disorder and it is manifestation of rheumatic fever and develops in susceptible individuals four to eight weeks after streptococcal throat infection. It remains the most common cause of career worldwide and typically affects children five to 18. Features of the disease include involuntary and random movements, which can affect any part of the body and have a debilitating effect. The illness can cause problems of speech, swallowing, writing in addition to muscle weakness leading to problems with walking and paralysis so patients with this often develop psychiatric symptoms such as anxiety depression obsessive compulsive disorder tics and in some instances a psychotic illness so I did think this was really interesting and I thought something like this could be really interesting because it wasn't understood or known at the time so 
Yeah, to, that's what you're saying. Yeah, they couldn't they couldn't actually research this enough at the time to know whether this actually was a thing. But from the the, the documented cases that I've seen and read myself, this feels to me more like it. it it, I suppose, shut you down more than anything else. It doesn't sound like it would allow you to get up and start dancing. If anything, it sounds like it would be more like you're in a paralytic state where you can barely move, but your body would have these kind of convulsions from time to time. That's the way I read that, which didn't sound like what was described in the dancing plague. So... Yeah, and there's nothing to say that, you know, Frau Trophia, the lady who started this all, had streptococcal throat infection. The age range doesn't really work because it affects children 5 to 18. And also, as you said, we have a similar problem with ergot for the reason of endurance mm, of the exactly. actual movement. Yeah, the endurance thing, I think, can't be understated. So obviously, 15, 18 being a very, very religious time in, in our timeline. Some schools of thought claim that the dancing was in result of some kind of religious ecstasy caused by veneration of St. Vitus, the patron saint of epilepsy. Another was that people were performing an aesthetic ritual of a heretical sect. However, there is no evidence that the dancers wanted to dance and expressed fear and depression. Eugene Batman, author of 1952 book Religious Dances in the Christian Church and in Popular Medicine, now that is a title, <laughs> sought a biological or chemical origin for the dancing mania. I'd say the religious aspect obviously played a part in the dancing plague, the original one, because for some people who probably still come from that area today would probably say that that was still very true because it was going back to St. Vitus and praying in front of the, the shrine and dancing there with the holy shoes on and the holy crosses on that eventually stopped the dancing plague and people started to regain some sort of control over their limbs so i'm assuming if you're from that place this story is very very true it's probably been passed on through millennia now um and people believe that this is it this is this is the reason why it started and, and this is the reason how it, how you ended it yeah i think it has some um, weight to it i'm not sure if i believe that it was a religious curse or if was caused by a religious individual um i mean as we've already spoken about it's odd that the 1021 plague that incident saw a priest curse them and then his curse coming to fruition so that's mm-hmm. unexplainable mm. yeah. um, but again that could be a form of some sort of mass hysteria and if a priest has told you that you're not going to stop dancing for a year and it's christmas eve and you can well document that year then maybe you don't stop dancing for that year Kind of like, I suppose, some sort of hypnosis, some type of therapy. You're telling them when it's going to stop and, and it stops on that day because time starts counting down from the moment that that priest has said that, I suppose. So would we look at that any differently from therapy today? I suppose it would be very similar to therapy in some ways. Yeah, so I don't know if anything kind of supernatural was happening and kind of paired with religion we do have this supernatural aspect because obviously this is unexplained and we can't definitively say what caused this plague or what caused some of the other plagues that we've spoken about so i was reading with the endurance that frau trophia was showing she should have been dead through about through dehydration and exhaustion after about three days maximum about six so she would have had to have had the stamina that not even modern marathon runners could possess. So one theory that I saw to explain why she didn't die was that she was already dead. <laughs> right. 
(laughs) (laughs) so here we get our like mass dancing zombies michael jackson kind of thriller Sure. sure yeah yeah which is quite weird, actually, when you think about Thriller. And, and I mean, I wonder if there's any ideas behind that. Because that is, that's always stood out as a very... When you look at pop songs, they don't ever look like that music video. That, that, that one music video has a lot of story behind it, you know. And someone probably read some stuff and thought, yeah, dancing play. That seems to work. And we can get Michael to look like a zombie. And then get a load of other dead people behind him dancing in unison, choreographed as well. And don't forget, at the time, choreographed dancing wasn't actually a thing. Um, little known fun fact here, Beat It by Michael Jackson was very the very first music video to actually have choreographed dancers in it. And which is then what set the mould for all music videos to have choreographed dancers in them. But before Michael Jackson did Beat It, that was not actually a thing. So... Which would make you wonder what music videos would look like today if he yeah. never did that, you know. But but yeah, so that's, that's the only, it's interesting. It's interesting. I don't think it explains that why she just carried on living a normal life after the plague. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, how do you even go back to that? Like that must be so awkward, just like walking out into the town and go, oh yeah, that dance. That, that that was weird, wasn't it? What we were all doing that last week. <laughs> Like, how do you go back to normal life after doing that for close to, what is it, two months? I think they were doing that for. So that's a long time to just be saying, yeah. And then the next week you you see each other in the butchers and go, yeah, that was weird. That was very weird. But <laughs> we got over that now. We're back to normal. Strange times. I wonder how long it took them to start listening to music again. Oh, could you imagine? That must have been hard. Because, yeah, because you'd think that, yeah, just that might trigger it. You'd be constantly paranoid that this next this next music piece is going to trigger it all off again. And I wonder if there were some people that tried to figure out whether it was a certain instrument or whether it was a certain type of music. Yeah, or whether that, you know, the first lady was just having a joke with everyone. She went out and started dancing. People started joining in. She was stood there like, what are these nutters doing? (laughs) (laughs) Just to see if it would actually work. She might have even had a bet going on with her husband. I bet you I can get like 10 people to start dancing. If I just dance and don't say anything, I guarantee you 10 more people will do it. And you know what? (laughs) Funny enough, I actually think that would work. If I went up to central London right now in Trafalgar Square and just started dancing, I guarantee you... Within about half an hour, I would have at least 10 people dancing with me with no questions asked. They would just be like, you know, the first few people would say, excuse me, what are you doing? And if I didn't actually respond and I just carried on dancing, I wasn't I wasn't hurting anyone. I wasn't offending anyone. I was just dancing. I guarantee within half an hour, there'd be at least 10 more people just dancing with me. Yeah, well, that's basically a flash mob. That is a flash mob. Yeah, it's just less. I wouldn't organize it. I'll just do it. No, I was thinking as well, it would be quite interesting to see if we could do an experiment where we started do something and waiting for people to join in. I'm sure there are cases of that. Oh, guarantee, guarantee. There's a lot of artists out there that I guarantee would have done something similar to that. There's been loads of experiments similar to that where, you know, there's the whole queuing mentality. You know, Britain's famous for its queuing mentality. If you queue and there's more than three people in a queue, other people will just queue even though they don't know what they're queuing for. And I've seen that happen. I've actually witnessed that myself where I'm standing behind someone and the next thing I know, this other person looks like they're about to walk past. They have, I can clearly see they do not know what I'm queuing for and they'll think, oh, 
I'm going to join that queue. And they join the queue. And then within two more minutes, another person joins the queue. And I know they don't know why they're in this queue. It's so bizarre. We love a queue in Britain. There's no doubt about it. We, we are masters of the queue. So a series of unusual events did actually precede the epidemic. A series of famines resulting from bitter cold winters, scorching summers, sudden crop frosts and terrifying hailstorms all preceded the, the manic dancing. So waves of deaths followed from malnutrition and people who survived were often forced to slaughter all of their farm animals, secure loans and finally take to the streets for begging. So some people see this as they see the dancing plague as kind of a warning from the gods or, mm-hmm. a, you know, a sign of bad times to come, right. um, which I think is really interesting. And I can see why people take that. Um, similarly, just before or just after this English sweat, smallpox, syphilis, le- leprosy um, and all of these sorts of illnesses came up in waves as well. People say that these plagues could be a sign of times to come or it could be people um, predicting what is going to come in the future, and warning people in a very mm. odd way, I will admit. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, but I mean, either way, I mean, I think even if it happened today, you would get the same kind of division where it would be scientists saying this is happening because of mass hysteria. You'd have loads of religious people giving you so many different reasons as to why they think this is happening, showing you biblical references to this kind of stuff. Um, You'd have the supernatural side, people that are just like, no, that's the devil, that's something weird going on, blah, blah. Um, I think the same types of divides would would be in society today if this this happened. Because you've got to think, the amount of people, when you're talking about 400 people doing the same thing and looking like they don't actually have control over what they're doing, um, I think that's where the eerie part of it comes in for a lot of people because that is the zombie-like state that we are now so familiar with due to mainstream television that has shown us constantly look out for the zombies. If we saw that in real life tomorrow by going to central London and there seemed to be 400 people that didn't have any control over their bodily states and seemed to be moving in a very weird way in unison, I think you would question it. And I think for a lot of people, they would be afraid yeah, and I think, you know, it was a really superstitious time. And from the sound of it, these people didn't have much left in their lives but superstition. So mm. in these groups, subject to these severe social and economic hardships, a trance can be can be highly contagious. Um, John Waller, the historian that we were talking about earlier, said that the dancing plague tells us much more about the extraordinary supernaturalism of the late medieval people but it also reveals the extremes to which fear and irrationality can lead us. And he added that few events in his view could so clearly show the extraordinary potentials of the human mind. Yes. And I bet there's people out there, unfortunately experimenting with that on a daily basis to, um, you know, in some way control the masses for their own, what's the word? Sinister, their own sinister Mm. motives. To be honest, I don't think any of the theories completely explain the dancing plague no um i think for me mass hysteria is probably the one i think you know that the historian yeah it's the one i lean towards the most yeah although again i don't think it explains it all because in my mind mass hysteria we would see mass hysteria much 
more frequently like we'd see it after different wars we'd see it after certain genocides we'd see it after for example like the holocaust and we haven't seen it in those sorts of areas where there's been immense stress on communities so it still doesn't 100% fit for me because why would it play out like that in some areas and not in others yeah and I get your point on why we're still not seeing it today um yeah there's a good point but like I said earlier maybe we are but it's just not on the same level of scale maybe community is not the same as what community was back then that could be another thing because obviously separation has a big has a big part to play in this and it does say that these communities have to be very very tight-knit i.e all following the same mantra all following the same belief system all thinking the same way um but yeah, I think I lean towards mass hysteria out of, out of all of them. And and, and just maybe 10% of the supernatural, maybe 20% of the supernatural, <laughs> just because you just never know. You never know. But do we, I, I take it we both disagree with what the historian landed on when he said it was the ergot thing, because I'm not buying that. No, I'm not buying ergot because <laughs> people, people, people take mad drugs right now already and we're not getting this. So, and I'm guaranteeing you they're off their heads on way more stuff than they were ever back in the day. They would have been poisoned. So they would have been weak. They would not have had the energy to do what they were doing for hours and hours and hours and then. So that's why I think that just dismisses that one fact 100%. That's what leads me towards, again, mass hysteria because it's that mind over matter, isn't it? Yeah. That- because you get these people that they train to hold their breath underwater for like, you know, half an hour and yeah. stuff. You know, it can be done if it's completely mind over matter or walk over hot coals or. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I think we've covered the dancing plague and other plagues as well. Other stories, shall we say. Um, and I think we've tried our best here to deliver that in a way that hopefully will allow people to listen to this and go off and do your own research and come back and let us know if you found anything else out that could be quite interesting that we might want to cover in future podcasts yeah and you might have your own conclusion so if you do definitely let us know so you can join us on the podcast facebook page which is the curious cat podcast you can join us on twitter at curious cat pod and Instagram, Curious Cat Pod. So that is C U R I O U S Cat Pod. Also, do not forget to like and comment, please. Uh, if you listen to us on iTunes or Spotify, please leave a comment or a rating five star because it is what helps us climb the ladder. Um, it's not based on downloads, it's based on stars and comments. So if you could do that and just let us know actually whether you like the podcast or not. That would be nice and give us some feedback and tell us if there's any episodes you'd like us to cover in future. Um, And we're happy to have any corrections as well. Yeah, I think that's it from us. Just want to say thank you for listening. And Zoe, thank you as always. Of course. Thank you. And we'll see you again on the Curious Cat podcast. Goodbye. Bye. See you next time.